We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Today's show is going to be short, sweet, compact, tight. And it's going to start with a tweet and a hunch. The tweet comes from Pauly. Not our Pauly, not the Pauly, not the 757 Pauly, but a different Pauly who follows me on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. You can do that too. And he writes, enough Dan Snyder talk. I tune in for football talk. Please, we are at the height of the offseason, more football, exclamation point. Thank you, Paulie, for the tweet. It's actually not the height of the offseason. That starts two weeks from now with the beginning of the league calendar and free agency. I know it feels like the NFL season never ends, um, but I have a surprise for you today, Paulie. Lots of football talk. Ben Standig in the next segment from the Indy Combine where Ron Rivera spoke yesterday. Martin Mayhew is scheduled to, to, to speak today, and we'll save the Martin Mayhew stuff for tomorrow. Tommy and I, uh, if Martin Mayhew says anything remarkable, we'll weigh in on that tomorrow. But Ben Standig, and I promise you, Paulie, nothing but football talk with Ben. We'll talk about Deron Payne and the tag. We'll talk O-line. We will talk quarterback and everything else related to the team. Uh, ben Standing coming up in the next segment. But after Ben, Howard Gutman is going to come on the show. Come on. Howard's the best. He's the best guest. We haven't talked to Howard in a while. He's been traveling. We're actually going to be talking to him as he is down under in Australia. Uh, he's getting up super early in the morning to come on with us. Uh, I didn't make him do that. He's actually traveling again. He has to get up to get to the airport. But we will get Howard to weigh in on the Don Van Natta story from yesterday, the $55 million line of credit that may have been obtained by Dan Snyder and the team illegally. So Howard Gutman will finish off the show with us with, yes, Dan Snyder talk. Remember, boys and girls, and I think most of you do realize this, even if Paulie does not, The only thing that matters is Dan Snyder selling the team. That is the number one story in the offseason, whether it's the height of the offseason, this offseason, or not. Dan Snyder selling the team is the most important offseason story 
if you are a longtime fan and understand the destruction of the last quarter century. And hopefully we are on the verge of seeing that end. Uh, by the way, speaking of Don Van Natta, Don Van Natta was on with me this morning on radio. He was excellent. I tweeted that out earlier today, um, so you can find that at Kevin Sheehan. DC. Uh, he was really good. Uh, the show today is presented by Window Nation. If you've noticed that your energy costs are on the rise, they are. In DC, they're up 25% compared to last year. It's not too late to fix your, your high energy bills, all the while getting off season prices from Window Nation. Beat the rush with two free windows with every two you buy. That's two free with every two you buy, no limit, plus no money down, no payments, and 0% financing for two full years. For two years, 24 months, you'll pay nothing on your new windows. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. Again, 866-90-NATION or go online at windownation.com. So here's the hunch. It is a Taylor Heineke hunch. It's a Heineke hunch. My hunch is this, that if you are want Taylor Heineke back in a Washington uniform in 2023, Taylor Heineke and his representation are going to have to be perhaps more realistic in terms of what they think they are worth, or they're going to have to take less than they can get elsewhere. Washington's got a number in mind. Now, part of this could be just the budget mode that they are in in this offseason. You know, they're not spending any big money on free agents. They're not. You're not going to see the Snyders dole out a lot of money that has to go into escrow for a big money free agent. But my hunch is, is that Washington thinks Taylor is worth X and Taylor and representation think he is worth X plus plus. Taylor made last year a million and a half dollars. He should be able to get more than that on the open market. Taylor Heineke is a bona fide backup quarterback in the NFL. I think you could certainly make the case he's a top half or top third of the league backup quarterback. Uh, he's also great in your locker room. He's great with teammates. He's coachable. Yes, he's older. He's going to be 30 years old when the season starts next year. Um, but Taylor Heineke can play some ball. He's the perfect backup. We've talked about it many times. I know that the spot rack number has like some ridiculous $19.5 million projection on what he'll be worth. No, he's not going to make anywhere near that. Okay. You know, but the issue is does he think he can make five, six, seven million dollars a year somewhere? You know, eight, nine million dollars a year somewhere? You know, at a place where maybe they've got a young quarterback and he might have to start some games or at a place where they're going to draft a young quarterback and he's going to have to kind of hold that position until the young guy's ready? Maybe, you know, and maybe that opportunity's out there. But this team's not going to give him that kind of money. This team's looking to spend probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to $5 million on a veteran backup quarterback. So I think that right now my hunch is that Taylor Heineke will end up signing somewhere else when free agency begins unless he finds that the market, which I think Washington is willing to uh, have him go out and test, 
um, unless he finds the market isn't what they hope the market to be for him. And then this team, who really does respect Taylor Heineke a lot, they like him a whole lot, but they like him at a certain number. And look, if you're Taylor Heineke, you should go out and try to get that number. You might be able to get a much bigger number than Washington's willing to pay. So there you go. A tweet and a hunch to start the show. By the way, just a couple of things real quickly. Uh, Charles Gasparino, who's a reporter for Fox Business News, is reporting that Mark Lazary, a former owner of the of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA, he's a billionaire hedge fund manager, that he is weighing putting together an investment group to buy the commanders. Um, that's one story on ownership. The other one is from the Associated Press that reported that Dan Snyder's future is on the agenda for discussion at upcoming meetings in Florida in late March. Those are the uh, league's owners' meetings uh, in late March, and it's on the docket, Dan Snyder's future. The person who spoke to the AP on the condition of anonymity said that Um, voting to oust Snyder if he chooses not to sell the team remains a possibility. Um, So those are, you know, as of the recording of this podcast, of course, uh, with perhaps more to come, uh, those are uh, the uh, stories related to ownership today. By the way, the big news today in sports is Jalen Carter, uh, the absolute stud defensive tackle for Georgia, a projected top three pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Um, He's been charged with reckless driving and racing in connection with a crash that killed a teammate and a recruiting staff member. Uh, If you remember that happening on January 15th, shortly after they won the national championship. Uh, That is a story that will certainly impact Uh, Jalen Carter's future um, with respect to certainly the charges, uh, but also um, his draft positioning. Uh, Jalen Carter, some think, is the single best player in this draft, quarterbacks included. Um, So that is uh, a sad story, obviously. Apparently he was at the scene of the crash and then left and then came back and gave police what they described as shifting accounts of the abs uh, of the wreck. Um, so uh, according again to the uh, allegation and the charge, um, he was reckless driving and racing with the other vehicle that ended up killing two people. Um, I did want to mention real quickly before we get to Ben, uh, number one is this Bradley Beal was great last night. He was really good. 37 points. Only had one three-pointer. He was uh he was eight um he was six of eight, excuse me, in the fourth quarter, had 12 points in the fourth quarter. And for the second time in like the last four or five games, I think his closeout ability is as good as I've ever seen it. I thought last night him closing out the game and their win over the Hawks was as good as it was a few weeks ago against Minnesota. That's always been one of the knocks about Beal, being able to close out games. Man, he is becoming good at it. What a a creator in terms of getting into a mid-range spot that he's comfortable with. He's really become a high-level elite scorer. 
He just needs to stay healthy, as does the whole team. Uh, they are hanging on by a thread right now uh, in the NBA play-in uh, 7 to 10 range. They're in 10th place right now. Uh, one other thing real quickly, Maryland plays Ohio State tonight. Uh, the Terps need a, a road win or two down the stretch. They are only a one-point favorite at Ohio State, a team that is four and 14 in the Big Ten and 12 and 17 overall. Yeah, that one reeks. That one stinks. If you're thinking about playing Maryland minus the one because you think it looks easy, it's not. I would just stay off the game. Uh, Ohio State did beat Illinois on uh, on Sunday. And that was a big win for them, one of their only wins of the year in the Big Ten. They beat Illinois by 12. Illinois was a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Maryland, just a one-point favorite tonight uh, in Columbus against the Buckeyes. All right, uh, up next, Ben Standig, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ben Standing is with us, and this segment with Ben is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll offer you something most books don't offer, and that is make a deposit Wager that deposit amount just one time, and you're eligible to cash out immediately. Uh, most books don't offer that. It's perfect for you know events like March Madness. You know if you're not a year-round better, but you like betting the NFL playoffs or you like betting the tournament, this is perfect for that. Use my promo code Kevin DC at mybookie.ag. Make your deposit, bet a few games in the tournament, equaling your deposit amount, and then you're eligible to cash out right away. All right, Ben is with us. Ben, of course, with The Athletic, at Ben Standing on Twitter. Listen to his podcast. I was on it yesterday. It is called Standing Room Only. Um, I want to get to football primarily with you, uh, and we'll steer clear of all of the um, you know, stories and, and the flurry of news of the last few days regarding the sale and Snyder's line of credit, et cetera. So this will be for all of you who have said, hey, can we just talk football? Yes, we're going to do that with Ben. But I do want to start with this. Tell everybody how and when you were notified 
of what you actually reported would happen, but it actually did happen, and that is Deron Payne getting the franchise tag because I'm a little suspicious of the timing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I knew that it was coming, as, as we said, and I even had a sense, I talked about it on my podcast, that it could happen within a few days of when I had reported it. Um, and, and, you know, things do tend to happen at the Combine. So first night, or the second day I'm here in Indianapolis, um, I have, I, I've been like bad insomnia. I can't sleep through the night anymore for whatever the reason. Probably because I've come on here with you two early these days uh, on your show on the radio. Uh, I'm kidding. But anyway, so like I randomly wake up like 3.30 in the morning, and because I'm, a, I'm an addict to my phone, I immediately wake up, pick up my phone, pull up Twitter, and expect, expecting to see nothing except randomness. And then I see a notification from Adam Schefter that says they have tagged around pain. Again, it's 3.30 in the morning. I have no earthly idea why logically anybody would be doing anything at that time. Um, but, yeah, so yeah, I had to sort of wake up really quickly and kind of you know spring into action a little bit uh, at an ungodly hour. I mean, you, you and I talked about this on your podcast yesterday. It's not really conspiracy theory. It's an easy connection of the dots. He's the only player that's been tagged in the NFL because most teams actually wait until near the deadline to see you know, whether or not they can get a long-term deal or whether or not there will be some sort of interested party or you know, to make sure that nothing happens to Deron Payne between uh, now and, and, and the deadline um, to sign him to the tag. Like It's kind of obvious that they dropped that at 3.30 in the morning in hopes that, you know, everybody would look the other way from the Don Van Natta story and focus in on the franchise tag that they just announced with Deron Payne at 3.30 in the morning. Nobody does that. No, and then, and then they made the official announcement at 8 o'clock in the morning, which is even, even that, you know, I know that's normal hours. You're, you're well into your work day at that point, but generally speaking, that's still pretty early and you know i don't know if the coaching staff announcements were part of this attempt as well but those were also made yesterday when they could have been made at you know any other point so yeah it certainly seemed like it was an attempt to sort of change the subject matter and uh you know i would say it didn't exactly work probably in part because the deron Payne news is not exactly shocking i mean i you know the shocking part would have been hearing he signs a four-year extension. Yes. To getting the franchise tag was the you know expectation. Right. If they really wanted to divert attention away from the Don Van Natta story, uh, they should have gone in there and gotten Dan to approve a contract extension and gotten him to sign it at, at 2.30 in the morning and announce it at 3.30. But it's just the whole thing. I mean, to think that they actually probably thought this will divert attention away from the Van Natta story. Whew. I mean, look, a contract extension would have been a big story, but we still would have focused, you know, part of our attention on the Van Natta story. So let's talk about everything else. I mean, you agree with me, right, that Deron Payne's not getting a contract extension until uh, there's a new owner on board. Yeah, I I, I agree. I was uh, (laughs) talking with uh, J.P. Finley here in Indy yesterday about this. We were discussing... Other than Payne getting the tag, which would be $18.9 million, how many players will Washington sign with an average, with either a one-year or an average annual salary of $10 or $10 million or more? And we were both thinking, like, probably nobody. 
because that's where it just kind of feels like they're at right now where, you know, you mentioned the, the guaranteed money in the escrow and Ron Rivera yesterday, even he, he mentioned what they're looking for in this offseason. He talked about fair deals. I mean, sure. It, it could just be, you know, words you put together, but it sounded very specific. We've talked already this, this uh, cycle about budget talks that they've used that, that they use that word a couple times that we can never use. So it definitely does not feel like they're going to be spending in any real way this year. Um, based on the current setup of the Snyders owning the team and at a minimum without a new minority partner, but I'm not trying to scare people if that's an option. I'm just saying, as currently stand, I don't see them spending that kind of money on players. Yeah, I don't see this being a super exciting free agency period this year for this team. Um, You wrote, by the way, uh, in your 10-step guide to improving the team uh, in the offseason, uh, in a story that you wrote for The Athletic, that they should, if they are thinking long-term interest of this team, they should tag Deron Payne and then trade him. Do you think they're even considering that? Uh, consider, but I doubt execute. Uh, you know, again, Deron ha- the reason that to, to me is a better scenario, again, it depends on what the, the trade is. I'm not just saying trade him for the sake of trading, but, you know, with the year he had, and, and you know, I was – you know, being told third round pick last year, probably at a minimum and maybe even a second, depending on um, how desperate another team was to, to, to get pain. Um, you know, that was then. So I would think at a minimum now you're looking at a second round pick and then perhaps, you know, another later round pick or, or something else. But if you do that, you're breaking up the strength of the team, right? Obviously, John he and John Allen formed a great tandem. You'd still have a lot of other good defensive linemen, as we know, but that was the crux of the team. And for this year, I just would probably imagine that Ron Rivera is ultimately going to say we'd rather have Deron Payne and not worry about some other picks. And again, in this case, giving Deron Payne $18.97 million on the tag is not a big deal. They're probably not going to spend much on anybody else. The money is not something you have to put into escrow because of the, you know, just the, his, his, basically his annual salary for the year, even though it's guaranteed. So it, it, it is sort of the perfect scenario. Also, the 18.97 is likely to be less than what he would get as an annual average salary on the market. It's just that from a cap hit, you could make that first year significantly less than the 18.9. But again, it doesn't seem like that will be as big of a deal. So, uh, you know, this has not been a franchise that's been a ton of forward thinking in that regard. They did trade down last year in the first round, which is good, but that was sort of a an easy call. They obviously loved Jahan Dodson, good for them. So, um, yeah, I think I would look to trade, and if I could get a second in something, I think that's the way I would go because I just think you can't put invest in all these guys. Um, of course, we can get into this if you want, but this also brings into the question of what do they think of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Part of the reason you wouldn't extend pain is you're extending probably those other two guys. But if you're like, eh, we, we're not there. We're not there on Chase Young or Montez White wants too much money. Then keeping pain, if you can make that work, you know, could be the most make the most sense. But I, I actually, so I don't see them trading him. I would see them holding him and at a minimum waiting and seeing what happens uh, with all with all those guys. All right, uh, let's move on from Deron Payne. Were you surprised that Bobby McCain got cut? Mm-hmm. No, I, I didn't necessarily. Think it would be like the one move that they have made now preemptively before anything else has even kind of got going. But look, last year, you know, in fairness to Bobby McCain, when he arrived in 2021, you know, he helped, I think, solidify that safety spot with Cam Curl and to an extent Landon Collins, um, because that group has always been a mess here as, uh, as much as any single position other than maybe quarterback. 
that, that position's been a mess. And he, I think, did a good job of helping that. On the other hand, you know, I always just kind of felt like he was a, a, a guy. Like, it wasn't like he was particularly spectacular, seemed to overrun some plays at times, that they could improve at that spot. And we saw during that winning streak, you know, for all the talk of Taylor Heineke and, and, you know, and all that, it was really, I think, the defensive playmaking that almost was as much, if not more, responsible for what was happening. They, they were winning the turnover battle pretty much every game, and Derek Forrest was a huge reason for that. Combined with Cam Curl, they gave him that sort of you know, rock him, sock him element in the back. So when they moved McCain to, to, to corner, slot corner, uh, later in the season to help get Forrest more reps, that seems like a pretty reasonable assumption that Bobby McCain was starting to be pushed out a little bit. And if you figure between Curl, Forrest, and Percy Butler – uh, who they drafted in the fourth round last year, sort of forming the safety core, Jeremy Reeves as well. And then the corner, you know, I, I think they need to add a legit corner, not just have Bobby McCain as the third guy. And now if you're talking about, like, the seventh defensive back making a, a capital of over $5 million, that that gets that starts to get a bit, um, a bit much. I, I was told that it is a pre-June 1 cut, I think, when – the initial report came out. It, the, the, the cap savings suggested a post June one, but that's not what I'm told. I'm told it's pre. So basically, they save about 2.3 million towards the cap, and uh, you know they'll have to get some more depth anyway. What do you think's coming next? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So yesterday, like you had asked me this before I got to the combine. You know, the Logan Thomas situation is the one I've been eyeing the most as prominent player who who I would put as like the the best bet to get released. Not, not that Logan Thomas isn't you know worth keeping. He obviously is a, is a tremendous locker room leader. Certainly there was a lot of rust last year coming off the ACL surgery. Um, but you know he he still got the red zone size and you know we've seen him when he's good. You know he's good. But you know you also got to blame some of the quarterback situation. You know Carson whatever it was that didn't you know that he just wasn't getting the ball as much as you would think. So I really thought, and his cap hit, and I don't have it in front of me. Apologies, but basically they would save some good money. I think like five million. Yeah, right. Around so five, if he a little were, bit more uh, than five million. Yes. Yeah, and so you know you also have three young tight ends. I think they, they, they they're intrigued by, particularly Armani Rogers and some Cole Turner. Um, so you know, release Thomas, go out and either draft somebody. This is a pretty good loaded draft for tight ends. It seems like, or you know, sign a vet for a lower number. But yesterday. Um, Ron Rivera spoke to some of us on the side after his podium session, and he really started to talk up Logan Thomas. And, you know, sometimes these are just words. They don't mean anything. But, you know, I, I kind of did take it as Rivera saying, hey, no, we want to keep Logan Thomas around. And to your point about not necessarily needing to spend to, to create cap space if they're not going to spend, you know, it is also like, okay, what what's the what are we getting at tight end, you know, if we're not going to spend much, is that person better than Logan Thomas? And if it's not, the answer is not definitive, then, you know, the things like the locker room leadership come into play. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it felt to me like well, he might stay. So does that mean you, you figure out a way to extend or restructure? I guess that would be the question. Um, Kendall Fuller and Charles Leno both have the kinds of deals where there's a lot of wiggle room there from a, a cap perspective, you know, their, their cap hit, um, is a bit much relative to you know what else could be done. I think Fuller to me is a an extension kind of a guy, but again, are they going to spend? That you know, to, to, if you do an extension, that means guaranteed money comes into play. Leno, kind of the same deal. I almost wonder, 
if Charles Leno is sort of in the position he was in with the Bears, where they end up drafting a guy in the second round, another offensive lineman, and then cut Leno at that point. I'm not suggesting that's in place for Washington. And again, they may decide the money, the captain on Leno is worth it, considering what else they would have to do to get a viable tackle. But this draft, if you know, if there's a if there's a tackle at 16 and they go that route, then maybe Leno goes. But you know, that that's not an immediate thing. That's obviously more of a of a long term thing. So, um, you know, I, th- those would be some of the things I think to keep an eye on. I don't know about what I think is imminent, but the, you know, I think those are the types of deals to, to keep an eye on. Cole, Cole Holcomb is obviously another one, but. I don't know what kind of market he's going to have out there in free agency coming after missing half the year with a foot injury that required surgery. But needless to say, um, that would be to me that seems like a pretty easy one to do a one year, you know, deal that, that you know sort of helps both both sides. Um, him re- rehab his value and the Commanders to have a viable starter they know. So um, again, I don't know if that's happening you know soon, but that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, right now, projecting the offensive line for next year, how many people do you think are guaranteed to be back and you know playing for them versus you know new faces uh, along that starting offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I would say Cosme's a given. I, I, I think my, if I had to bet, I would bet he's a guard. R- Rivera was asked about where he plays, where Cosme plays next year, and he said that it was the toughest probably the toughest thing they've got to figure out they you know this guard topic came up a bunch last year you're not you're not taking a tackle and putting him to and even considering him a guard unless you want to do it right i mean so but there'd be no logical you, you want tackle first and then go from there so i imagine cosme goes to guard unless whether it's free agency or the draft it just works out that they end up getting some more interior help there than maybe we imagine um i i, I would say leno next but like i said his cap hit is you know pretty pretty big this year, and you know I think you could do better than than, than Leno. He's yep. solid, but again, if there's a, if there's an if there's an opportunity in the draft to do something, that could be a thing. Other than that, I don't. I mean, look, is Chase Rie coming back with his big cap hit? I, I, I think the, that you know, they the would one. love. That's the one, right? I mean, do they really feel confident with any of anybody at the center position? I mean, you've got. Um, you know, uh, free agents right now, right? In, in Martin and in um, and Larson, they haven't been re-signed yet. And Ruye's coming off another injury. You'd save about four million bucks if you released him. I mean, I think center's got to be a a priority here in the off season. Hundred percent. And, and Rivera said as much. I mean, throughout you know the you know, right after the season ended, that you know they don't, they got to figure this out. What's going on here? The, the you know the challenge with Chase Ruye is. The cap savings aren't that amazing, um, and the cap hit would be pretty decent. So it feels like, to, ideally for them, it's either some type of restructure. Because, look, if he gets released, you know, he's not going to make the same amount of money that, you know, that's on his deal because, you know, people aren't going to want to pay for a guy coming off back-to-back season and the injuries. The last one costs him uh, 15 games. But on the other hand, you know, again, you know, they know him. He, he's obviously pretty, really solid. I, I, before his first injury, I, I think Chase really had the argument of being maybe the most underrated player on the whole team. Right. Um, and uh, but you know, where is he at physically? I think that's something they're going to monitor. This is a draft where it does feel like you can get interior offensive linemen on day two, you know, helpful ones. So uh, I think that's something you've got to consider. The, the other variable I wrote about this the other day was when I, when I did my ten point plan for the Commanders. Wants to say get a veteran center to 
go with Sam Howe because that center is the one who's typically calling the protections and, you know, take some pressure off of Howe. Now, Rivera was asked, asked about this yesterday, the idea of do you care about more of a veteran or, or a young guy. He said he didn't. He said there's some good centers in his class, which is true, and perhaps that's an indication of where Rivera is, is thinking, but it still comes down to what are you doing with Chase Rui? I think that's a, a, a big question mark for sure. Um, I think a pay cut or some sort of restructure would be great, but you know, even if they do that, do you really are you really relying on him to be your starter after what's happened the last couple of years? Think there's any way that Antonio Gibson gets a contract extension? Yeah, good question, right? Uh, something we would be logically talking about more. I, I'm going to say no. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, you got to look at the overall picture here. I, I mean, again, the same same story about the guaranteed money and Snyder and all that. Um, you know, you have Brian Robinson now. You know, pretty clearly Brian Robinson is the lead back um, for what they're for what they're doing, and and. Um, you know, you also if you if you sort of go with the whole playmaker bucket, you've already paid Terry McLaurin. They'll have to make some calls here at some point on Curtis Samuel. You know, um, and also the running back position is you know I hate to say it, but it's a bit disposable. I mean, we all kind of know this. You could draft the guy presumably somewhere in this in this draft, and you know, not saying you would get somebody as good as Antonio Gibson, of course, but you know, you could piece together a backfield in 2024 if he were to move on. To, to give you uh, some of that element, so the path catching and the you know perimeter element. So I would say no, but uh, again, particularly with the whole Snyder deal. Uh, but you know, I, I wouldn't like say, "Wow, what a terrible move if they did." But I, I would kind of guess no. Yeah, and I, I, I understand there are people in front of him right now, Cameron Curl and Deron Payne being, you know, two of those people. Um, uh, but you know, it's it probably would be hard to get a deal done with Cameron Curl until there's new. Uh, ownership uh, as well. So let's talk quarterback, Ben. Um, Ben's in Indianapolis at the Combine. That's where Ron Rivera was yesterday. Martin Mayhew's going to speak today. Um, So we'll have some of that tomorrow. But this was what Ron Rivera said yesterday when he was asked about Sam Howell and the starting quarterback position. Well, if you go back to, to his junior year coming out, you know, this is a guy that had some very good grades on him as far as being draftable. I believe if you go back and you ask some scouts, you know, what their grades are, you're going to see some pretty high grades. Um, you know, I went, that's what I did. I looked at our people's grades, and we had some very good grades on him. So uh, we feel very confident in his ability. Secondly, um, things that he showed us over a period of time. You know, he played a lot in the preseason. That was something we did on purpose. Um, we wanted to see him because uh, we liked him that much. Uh, during the season, you know, when, when you watch the practice tape and you just, he just had some moments that just showed you, you know, he's done a really good job and then getting the opportunity against Dallas. Um, you know, I thought he came out and played the type of game that you're looking for as far as the quarterback's concerned. Um, he's got a tremendous skill set, got a good arm, the kind of arm that you do look for. Um, that's, that's one of the things. And again, um, he's not our starter. He's coming in as a QB1. He'll get, he'll get, he'll get a great opportunity to be our starter. Um, but we do want to find a veteran uh, quarterback. You know, we have Taylor Heineke that's a free agent. We've got to work through that as well, and then we'll see what happens from there. Riverboat Ron there saying, you know, again, he's not our starter. He's coming in as QB1. He'll get a great opportunity to be our starter, but we do want to find a veteran quarterback. And then he had some things to say about Taylor Heineke as a free agent possibility, etc. But let me just ask you to kind of cut to the chase. Behind closed doors, 
What is Sam Howell right now to them? Um, well, I think he is the project. He's the potential, right? I think at a minimum, that's what it is. Uh, to me, the second that the story came out, I think we've talked about this, maybe even on the radio or here, the second the story came out that Sam Howell, was, that they were telling co- coordinator candidates that Sam Howell, they're looking at him as QB1 going into the offseason, you know, my, my antenna was went up and said, this is a distraction attempt. This is an attempt to change the subject of matter from away from what went, ha- what went wrong with Carson Wentz, that decision, to, wow, there's some hope going forward. It's not a retread. It's a young kid they drafted. I, I, think, I, think, that's, I think that works from a PR perspective, but it's logically, what is the literal point in saying anything to anybody about it at that point? If you want to tell the candidates, hey, just FYI, we are looking at Sam Howe, but to put it out there, you know, Rivera's talked about this on the record since. Like, what's the point? Like, you know, <laughs> just see what happens. Like, go into the negotiations out there and see what quarterbacks are available. I kind of felt like last year, one reason they went to get Carson Wentz is they had painted themselves into a corner that he kept saying they're going to get, you know, something at quarterback beyond that sort of, you know, run-of-the-mill uh, spot starter they had the last couple of years. And obviously Wentz didn't turn out to be much, but, you know, I think that was the thinking. So, you know, what do they do now? If they go out and get a quarterback, even like an Andy Dalton or Jacoby Brissett, like those guys are in theory be better than Sam Howell from the jump. Are you then not going to play, play them and you're trying to win here? So, I don't know. I, I think they have, obviously I think they like Howell. I don't blame them for that. But I still, you know, I still need to see who this backup is. And it's possible the backup is sort of in that Taylor Heineke or lower level guys who really you don't consider to be starters but can play if you have to. I think what you said about Sam Howell makes some sense, um, but he's also the only guy in the room right now. Um, but I think that the whole PR angle actually is a great angle, uh, not only to divert the attention away from the Cleveland game disaster and the Carson Wentz disaster, but to provide some level of hope, which, by the way, it has worked, actually. I mean, I have this sense, and maybe you disagree with me, I have this sense that referring to Sam Howell as QB1 as many times as Ron's done it, even though there have been caveats, you know, here in his last few answers um, about Sam Howell, um, actually has been received pretty well, not just by, you know, the the people in the fan base that don't, you know, that are wrong about everything. I'm talking about just some of the people on the periphery that are like, you know, that's a good idea. You know, going with somebody you drafted, going with somebody young and cheap, you know, it's this young and cheap rookie contract, you know, idea that you can build around and, you know, uh, it, it actually on some level has worked. Yeah, no, for, for, for sure. I mean, it, it's just, if you told me under just without knowing anything else, that this is where they were going to go with Sam Howe and they'll find a backup, I'd say, well, okay, I guess I'm assuming that this is a team that is sort of rebuilding or, you know, uh, towards the bottom of the league, they're you know they're, they're working their way up, and they don't, they're not ready to spend a lot on that position. Okay, fine, but obviously that's not the deal here. This is a team that's been basically a 500 team for three years in a row, and we all know that Ron Rivera is likely faces jeopardy with his job here if they don't have a pretty good season, and that's the part that's so odd. And so, look, I this is me putting my tinfoil hat back on, but. You know, to change the subject as the, as my view of what they were trying to do at the beginning, potentially that puts them in a bind. I was on the um, 
I was on with the sports junkies earlier, and they said that every time they run a poll with their fans, you know, obviously it's not scientific, Sam Howe versus X, who do you want? And even if like Sam Howe versus like Aaron Rodgers, at every turn, I think other than they said Lamar Jackson, people are always picking Sam Howe. Yeah, it's so again, yeah. So again, if Ron Rivera brings in whoever the vet is, and, you know, he told us when, when Fitzpatrick was here, there would be a competition with Heineke. Obviously, that never happened. So he keeps talking, saying there's going to be a competition. If there really is, well, what happens if the other guy wins? He's now been setting it up for Sam Howell. So it seems like Rivera sort of, again, putting himself in a into a corner. It's not a bad corner, and people won't balk at it at all at this point, uh, uh, you, know, and, you know, until perhaps a you know, worst-case scenario, Sam Howell shows he's not ready. But, uh, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it feels like it's going to be Sam Howell at this point, the way they keep talking it up, because otherwise you're really setting the fan base up for an okey-doke if you then get to week one and be like, ah, actually, we're going to go instead with, you know, Gardner Minshew or pick your, you know, whoever, uh, Baker Mayfield or, you know, whatever. I guess, I guess the fans wouldn't go irate over Taylor Heineke, but at the same time, you know, that, that's, not, uh, that's not a change. Well, I, a- I, I think most of the fans would have a problem if it was Taylor Heineke. I think there's a loud minority – of fans that wouldn't have a problem with that. But I think most people recognize, most people in the fan base recognize what he is. We've seen enough of Taylor Heineke. He's not the yeah. future at quarterback. I think I think most reasonable people can come to that conclusion. I think what I hope it doesn't stop them from doing, just like I really was on board last year, even though you told me there's no chance they're going to do this, and you're right. I don't want it to prevent them from thinking big in the draft at the very least. You know, at 16 or maybe a move up to 12 or 11 if there's somebody that they really like. You know, the the, the Sam Howell chances that he is the franchise quarterback for the next 5 to 10 years are much less than 50-50. Much less. I I think they know that. They're not sure about him. They barely wanted to play him in the season finale. Um, it's just funny to listen to Ron's answer about he, how he you know, goes on and on about you know, how coming out his junior year and the scouts grades and how much we liked him in the preseason and how much we liked him during the season. Well, then why didn't you play him at some point when your offense was completely stagnant before Carson Wentz was even ready to come back? Why not put Hal into the game? You know, for that first giant game at, at the Meadowlands. I mean, uh, I mean, there are reasons why he doesn't have the experience, et cetera. But um, it's just, uh, I hope it doesn't stop them from drafting a quarterback if one falls to them that they like, or if there's one within reach to move up if they really like somebody. Do you think it will? Do you think all of this discussion of Sam Howell will stop them from drafting a quarterback in the first round? Here's my problem: is that you ask me that question, and I can tell you that you know my personal view would be sure if there is somebody there, you know, if say Anthony Richardson from Florida would be seems to be the most likely one of the top four quarterback prospects to still be there, but he's a raw prospect, a lot of upside, but you know probably not more of a 2024 type of a player. Um, could you draft him? Sure, but this is the rub on so many levels. One. What is Ron Rivera? You know, Ron Rivera can't worry about 2024. He's got to worry about now. So drafting a guy like that, who would almost assuredly not be helped this year, doesn't really seem to do him any good. But there's also no general manager who's thinking long term because Ron Rivera has that spot too. Um, by the way, even if say Ron Rivera drafted Anthony Richardson, but just to use him as an example, maybe that's a 
good pick, but also it would put the next guy, if there is a new coach next year, in the exact same spot Ron Rivera found him in. That the team had just drafted a young quarterback, and now you get the, the 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 first coach gets saddled with having to deal with a young quarterback who's not ready. Then the second coach has got to be like, well, I guess we have to ride this out, even if I don't necessarily love him or whatever. So that was like from a franchise perspective, I actually don't want them to draft a quarterback in the first round because if you do think Rivera's out, I'd let I'd rather let the next guy figure figure this out. Yeah, um, but but all but also I was just going to say. The better teams in sports in general, I think, are the ones who have a plan and they largely try to stick with it. You know, you, 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 you always have to adjust your play calling and schemes or whatever to the talent. But here's what we're trying to establish and then work within that to get the, to get the players here. It just feels like it's been kind of all over the place. You know, we're, we're going to go, we're, we're, we're signing the veteran. They're making a big splash last year. He, Rivera says here at the combine, nobody cares how much you pay for. How, how much of the cost is if it, if it works? Everybody does forget. Now he's saying if you spend too much on a quarterback, that can really set you back. It, it's just all over the place. I don't know what the plan really is there. So uh, to me, I would rather them just on this level go with Hal as a backup and not. I mean, if you could you want to draft the quarterback in day three, great. But in terms of like early on, I, I would probably personally lean against it when looking at the whole situation. I just think the beginning of your answer where you said, you know, drafting somebody would be kind of counter to them needing to win this year. Well, starting Sam Howell this year is counter to needing to win this year. I mean, even if Sam Howell showed signs this year that he could be the franchise quarterback, he could be the long-term answer at quarterback, they're still not likely going to the playoffs or having a winning record starting Sam Howell in his first year. There are growing pains with a quarterback in year two but really his first year starting. There will be ups and downs. You know, again, you could you, you could see development and you could see promise for the future, um, but at the same time, you could be, you know, an 8-9 and nine or 7-10 and 10 team. Right, that, that's why the whole thing is so weird. I can understand being excited about Sam Howell, but, you know, every variable, just to put him out there. And again, it would be one thing if this was like um, – a guy who was drafted in the first round who, like, you know, sort of the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, or the Jordan Love deal, right? Like, he just hasn't played because the other guy is playing. If that was sort of the deal that Howell had been drafted high and then just didn't play last year because there were some of these in front of him, and then this year, it would still be, boy, what are the odds that that guy is going to do good enough for us to make the playoffs, like he said? But that's not even what we're at here. I mean, no. even if we say Sam Howell should have been drafted higher, he was still a fifth-round pick. The entire league was like, yeah, hey, we're good. And then after one start, and like we said, the team wasn't even like definitively saying he's gonna we're gonna go to him. Now he's a starter. I, I just think it's like I said before, it's, it's these other variables. This, and, and here's the thing with, with with Rivera, right? This is not breaking news. He likes to attempt to spin the things he is doing. And you know, last year he you know over and over and over again he's spinning the Carson Wentz deal. It's not just enough to say we we signed, we added this guy because we think he'll help. Had to go out of his way to demonstrably say it, including that you know that Bears game and. You know, I'm the one that wanted him, and whatever it was. And it's, all, it's like you're trying to sell Sam how hard. And again, I think Rivera probably knows he's not in the mix to get a veteran quarterback this year. Like they're, they're, like a year ago, aren't they all in on on Derek Carr? Or at least, it, you know, what we, we think that would be the case. Same thing probably with Garoppolo. I would ask you last year, Garoppolo was seemingly a target for them before he got hurt. And now they're just completely saying, nah, we're good. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's, it, you know. Of course, of course. Um, uh, what else? What am I missing? Um, well, you know, what's funny is um, obviously we're, we're not here talking about uh, Snyder stuff. You, you know, you presumably done that with other parts of your podcast, and we talked about that a lot yesterday. But I am here at the NFL Combine. <laughs> this is the place to talk about prospects and. All you know, when I'm talking to my colleagues to cover other teams for the athletic, and I hear them saying, "Yeah, well, I want to look at the, you know, the, uh, you know, what is uh, you know, what does Will Levis look like, or, or how about this defensive player, or my team needs this." And I, you know, we have such chaos over here. I haven't even had time to think about prospects, uh, you know, and that type of deal. But the prospects start talking today, so um, including Jalen Carter, who he's I think has been back, was maybe already supposed to go in the last 20 minutes as we're talking, and obviously his story. Um, has become something right. uh, has become a new story as well. So that that will obviously probably be the story of the day out of here, one way or the other. I would think. Uh, but the, anyway, the prospects start today. The offensive guys don't come until later in the week. I'll probably be gone by then. So um, you know, the, the, today today and tomorrow, the defensive players. I'm hoping to at least be at the podium sessions for some of the cornerbacks, since I think that's a place for these guys to go. Um, and linebacker as well. Of course, so um, yeah. So I think those are the things here to you know. I'll try to be paying attention to the last the next couple of days, and um, you know, then you know, once we get back home, free agency is around the corner. Uh, great to catch up. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the rest of the week in Indy. Uh, well, let's hope we go through a relatively uh, incident free the rest of that's, the way. Here. That's uh, impossible. That's impossible. That's not going <laughs> to happen. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Our friend Howard Gutman next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's finish up the show with our good friend Howard Gutman. We've got to go all the way down under to Melbourne, Australia to talk to Howard, uh, where he's got limited time, and it's 3 a.m. local time for him. No, I did not make him get up. 
uh, to come on the podcast. He is up because he is heading to New Zealand, and he's got a flight to catch, and he's got uh, a limited amount of time here uh, to do this with us. So, as always, much appreciated. We'll keep it shorter than usual with you. Uh, There's been a flurry of news, obviously, in the last few days. Yesterday, Don Van Natta's story uh, on ESPN.com. You've read it. I'll start where I always start with you. Tell me what you thought of it. Kevin, with with Dan Snyder, there's never sleeping, and even if you're down under, you (laughs) never lose it. Uh, So, in fact, I thought, Kevin, we had seen it all, that the damage, the number of people whose careers could be ruined, the number of people who were hurt by this uh, was at an end, but it might have been just at a beginning. We are not sure where it all leads because we don't know exactly what happened, but $55 million line of credit was given by Bank of America. There is no, no dispute that required authorization of the Redskin minority owners, Fred Smith, Dwight Char, and Bob Rothman. There's no dispute that they did not approve it. And so the question is, how did a bank end up giving $55 million wrongfully to Dan Snyder, a line of credit for $55 million, of which he's already uh, used probably roughly $20 million or so. How did that happen? How did it happen that the Redskins are liable for another $55 million line of credit when the league has to approve all increases in debt by a team? Um, if, in fact, the Redskins got a loan that was not properly approved, how did it get by the commissioner? And we know the commissioner knew of it because we know it came up in the fight between uh, Dan Snyder and the minority owners that went to the commissioner. How did it get by the auditors, Price Waterhouse and the other auditors, who had to review the financial transactions? And how did it get by without being revealed by the arbitrator in that case, which is Brad Karp, the chairperson of Paul Weiss, one of the largest and most important firms in the world? And Brad Karp had that arbitration, knew of this, decided to stop the arbitration without explaining why and to give the matter back to the commissioner to handle. And the commissioner finally said to Dan, pay these guys and let's get this done. So everyone seemed to bury it, but it's gone to the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia. The U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia doesn't care about a, a football sale. They don't care about whether Dan's out of the league, they want to know if someone lied to a bank to make them give $55 million. If someone lied to the bank, whether it is a high-level official at the Redskins or whether it was Dan, and said um, the, the directors have all approved this loan, that would be bank fraud. Um, and, uh, and that's something the U.S. Attorney's Office would look at and would indict on. If no one lied to the bank, if they said, oh, we haven't gotten the director's approval yet, we'll send it, and they never did, the bank turned the other cheek. They should have canceled the line of credit if they never got the, the signature of the three minorities. Um, so someone either looked the other way or got lied to about $55 million. This is different, Kevin, than we've ever had before, because before it was about sexual harassment, and you and I are abhorred by what we've learned about Dan Snyder and the conduct there, but in the league and in federal and state law, 
the consequences are limited. Most of the owners were saying, doesn't sound great, but I probably have the same at mine, or they do have the same in their club. But but with this financial fraud, cheating the minority owners, not good, but some other owners probably did it. Cheating the minority owners by having to lie to a bank, that would be something totally differently. And cheating the minority owners by lying to a bank in something that had to be approved by the commissioner, that really implicates everyone. One other thing, Kevin, whose fault is it that we first are revealing this now in 2023? It is everyone, including me, who's been following this story and thinking they knew what they were talking about. Because in late 2020, John Moeg, who was Moeg, who represented the minority owners in that buyout, uh, when Dan attacked John Moog and the minority owners, John wrote back and said, Dan, we can play this two ways. We can just do a straightforward sale, or we can start slinging mud. And we both know I've got something on you a lot more than you have on the minority. Just knock it off, or this is going to come out. You and I speculated in 2020, what could that have been? And then we forgot about it. John wasn't talking about sexual harassment. He wasn't talking about Dwight Shar's allegations of um, all the made-up uh, allegations that Dan could be the worst man in history. He knew somehow Bank of America loaned $55 million unauthorized, and that's a real exposure, and it remains so today. So is there any liability for the representative of the organization who applied for this line of credit or Dan himself who applied for this line of credit if they didn't lie directly, meaning in writing or verbally, uh, to the bank about getting approval from the other three significant owners, uh, minority owners in the team? Is there any liability if they were just being evasive? Dan and the team would be off the hook ultimately. And then the question is, who at the bank agreed to this and why? When the, when the, the, it wasn't just like a paperwork missing, when the loan was not authorized. It's not sort of like you've got to produce your passport, but we know you're a citizen. This loan is not supposed to be taken by one uh, one of the owners of the team, because all of the team itself is going to be liable. The bank is not going to risk that the minority owners say, hey, you just made me partially liable for something I knew nothing about. So the question is, whose head would roll at the bank? Someone's head's going to roll. It's either going to be the bank got lied to, in which case the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia is going to chop heads off, or if not, I guarantee you, Brian Moynihan today, the head of Bank of America, is having someone review this transaction and figure out why Bank of America ended up giving $55 million without receiving proper authorization that is now on the, you know, on the pages of the Washington Post and in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia. And the administrative people at the commanders, uh, I have no idea you know, at all who was involved, who knew. Um, but the former general counsel, Eric Schaefer, recently left to Joe Gibbs Racing. He may have been disgusted by all this, or there might be subpoenas. But someone has got to account for how the three minority shareholders got cheated by the majority getting their hands on $55 million that was not authorized. 
So this thing ends up with the lawyer that you referenced, Brad Karp, uh, in arbitration. But it quickly moves out of arbitration and into a mediation environment with Roger Goodell uh, basically you know, handling that. And for the lack of a better description, brokering a deal for Dan to buy out Shar Rothman and Fred Smith for $875 million. Given that those three were then out of it, settled in a private, you know, mediation with, you know, big time attorneys, I'm sure there, and they are no longer liable for 40 cents on the dollar on that $55 million line of credit. Will the Eastern District of Virginia still come after Dan, even though for all intents and purposes, the three victims of this are out of it? Absolutely. So you are correct that what what happened is Goodell got the four of them in front of him and said, listen, there's a lot of who shot John and it looks like someone shot John and John is dead. Either we have to start having a public funeral or you guys have to make this go away. And what that means, Dan, is you got to meet their price. And he mediated the buyout probably at a way higher price than Dan was offering, but as we know, a bargain basement price to what the commanders was actually worth, Dan will make a fortune on whatever number the sale is, billion, on that 40% that he acquired. So Roger Goodell took care of it. Again, it may have just been the NFL keeping its own problems in-house, that Goodell may well have gotten approval by Jerry Jones and Bob Kraft and all his advisors that Dan Sheehan is minority owners, um, but I'm going to make this go away rather than get us further headlines. And everyone agreed, in which case Goodell looks bad because he never should have approved it, but he does whatever the owners say. If that and happened if that, that way, right. Marching orders, if that right, then that's fine. But the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District of Virginia he cares that people who file for bank loans tell the truth. So he will investigate it. This is different than anything, any of the financial allegations we've talked about before. When we talked about Jason Friedman, the question was, was the team misallocating funds to, um, to events that the league did not share in? Right. And the best we've concluded is we've never seen that happen. With the with the um, deposits by the fans, uh, it, it didn't look like the team proceeded most ethically. We now see, and they said, oh, we've got all these deposits. Who wants them back? But probably they were just sort of slow-moving in a civil fine, like the, the 250000 in Maryland and the like, and that's no great, you know, no great major issue. But a $55 million bank fraud, someone saying, uh, I'm the person authorized to receive $55 million. That's going to get investigated. And it may well turn out that no one actually lied to Bank of America. They just procrastinated. And the bank ultimately closed it and moved on without making sure that this was authorized. But in that case, the U.S. attorney won't end up having someone to charge. The bank will have heads roll. The auditors will have to explain why they knew of this transaction um, and and did not you know um, flag it, um, and and Brad Carp knows what he said to Goodell, and Goodell knows what Brad said to him. So maybe everyone decided just sweep it under the rug is best, and all all the people we answer to say sweep under the rug, and there's no actual lie, but there could well be someone at the bank saying, I was told this had been approved, 
or or even more so, I got a document signed and initialed for them. Right. Uh, so in which case, let, if there's a document signed yes. and initialed, that's fraud. You the sound word- to me, for the first time in all of our conversations about this, like you think this could be real trouble for Dan. Am I wrong? If, if someone lied to the bank and the bank says, the only reason we made the $55 million loan that we now know is unauthorized is we were told X and relied on it, that person is likely gonna, would likely get indicted. Um, and bank fraud uh, would be, you know, a $55 million bank fraud would have someone going to jail. Dan could say, uh, you know, if it's not Dan who spoke directly to the bank, and Dan could say, look, this was a closing of a transaction. I thought all signatures were in place. I never told the bank otherwise. Then it's someone else's problem. If that someone else says, I had a conversation with Dan Snyder. I said, we haven't gotten the signatures by Rothman uh, and Char and Smith. And I was ordered to tell that, tell the bank we've gotten it. Then that would be Dan's exposure. So what, take in it, any event, yeah. if any event, if Dan wants to be indemnified because he from the league because he knows darn well he's got potential costs ahead. Uh, they can't indemnify him against jail time, uh, but you know if there are fines um, and if there are significant costs, he wants the league to still be tied into this. Um, and, and obviously that's one of the, the points that came out in the Washington Post article. If I was applying for a line of credit or for a home loan, you know, in a refi or a new purchase, and I doctored up some pay stubs and I, and I doctored up an appraisal, but I was making every single payment when they found out that I had illegally through, through fraud obtained that loan, what would happen to me? What would happen to you is you would be indicted if it was a material amount of money. The harm is the loss is not the, the harm is not in the loss of money. The harm is in the lie to the bank. The laws require truth in dealing with uh, various entities, and one is in in dealing with banks and getting money. Once you got the money on false for false reasons, that is the is where the crime would be committed, not that you then couldn't repay the money. So if I go and steal it from you, um, I've committed theft. The fact that I repay you, uh, you know, will go into account on the restitution. Now, normally, if it's relatively small matters that aren't high profile and the bank comes across a lie, they might, you know, work out with the U.S. attorney it's not worth the time or the, or the assets. But if you are a headlines issue and it's $55 million, particularly if Bank of America now to defend itself had to say, look, we got lied to, that's not going to get swept under the rug. So you said something earlier with respect to the bank's culpability, and I just want to make sure I understand this. Obviously, if you fill out an application and you doctor up some sort of an approval of all the shareholders and you give it to them, that's bank fraud. But if the bank gave uh, Snyder the loan uh, without all of the docs and without a promise of all of the docs and without any indication that you know the approval had taken place, that's on them. That's not a crime. That's just, you know, bad loan processing, right? Correct. And so in that case where nobody crossed the line from the commanders, but they did not come forward with what was needed for a closing, someone's head is going to roll at the bank, not at the commanders. 
But if someone at the bank uh, authorized a $55 million loan uh, without having the proper authorizations, that's going to be a big problem at the bank. It's not going to be a problem for the commanders, uh, but it'll be a problem for the bank. And then if Roger Goodell knew of it, he only answers to the other owners. But if the other owners say, Roger, how did you bury a $55 million loan that was unauthorized and not let us know? There'll be some headaches there. If they all knew, it'll just get there. And they wanted to bury it. That's their right to bury it as a league. But normally, they are pretty tough on allowing additional loans that aren't approved. And normally, you would think they don't approve something that isn't done properly. Um, and that maybe they thought it was done properly. The first they heard was after the fact when these three guys complained. And they would have had to do something. But Roger took care of it with an agreement among the four of them. That was uh, approved by the league, and Roger did what he was supposed to do. Um, it just raises lots of important questions now. So in listening to you and also just thinking about this for the last day, Howard, if you think about the timing of this, late 2020, early 2021, Washington's in the headlines for all the toxic workplace stuff. Beth Wilkinson's in the middle of her investigation. Um, by the way, Dwight Schar. Uh, just five months earlier, um, was allegedly involved, you know, in some way, if not the mastermind behind the smear campaign against Snyder, which at that point Snyder kind of knows about and is doing his own kind of shadow investigation. Um, and you've got all this stuff going on. And, and maybe just at that point in time, there were kind of mutual motivations, if you will, to just end this thing. Like Goodell didn't want another, you know, Washington Dan Snyder story to come out. Snyder obviously didn't want it. Shar probably had some incentive to get this thing buried and get out of it. Fred Smith had already made it clear that he wanted, you know, out of uh, any business involving Dan Snyder. Maybe that's how this all th- how this whole thing came together and just got done. That's fair and it could well have happened that way. We're just going to have to see uh, how it shakes out. But this is my closing, to, Kevin, is this is substantively light years differently than anything we have ever seen before um, from Dan, whether it was sexual harassment or whether it was financial misconduct that wasn't really uh, was never really existed. This is federal implications for the highest level at the league of the auditors, of the lawyers who work for the league, uh, and of obviously of the commanders and the bank. I know you've got to run. Um, I would just ask you just to give me an answer to this, given all of these stories over the last couple of days, and you've been reading them and I've been texting them to you. Um, what's your big takeaway on where we are with him selling the team? I cannot imagine at this point we end up with Dan Snyder, ultimately the owner, uh, with a with all of this circulating, but there will be bumpy roads between now and the sale. Um, everyone, the, the other big question, which we'll leave for the next interview, is who leaked this now? Right. Did the did the did the league did the league uh, do this to force pressure on Dan to close? Uh, and we don't know. We will see. I can't believe Dan Snyder keeps the club uh, one way or the other. Does it get messy in in him leaving? Does the league have to move to throw him out at this point? Uh, is all this pressure, does he culminate in the sale for less than he would like? Does he sell to Bezos when he doesn't want to? Uh, does he sell for less than he hoped? 
or is this a tool to just get $7 billion out of Bezos? That's all to come, and we'll see. Thank you uh, for doing this. I know that you're scrambling to get to the airport. Have a great flight. Have a great rest of the trip, and we'll catch up when you get back. All the best. Thanks, Kevin. Bye-bye. There he is, at the Howard Gutman on Twitter, the former U.S. ambassador to Belgium, longtime prominent D.C. attorney. He hosts a radio show that you can listen to on the Odyssey app called As I See It. If you're in Richmond, it's on WRVA uh, radio. Um, look, uh, that was very nice of him to do that. He is in Melbourne. He is getting up super early in the morning to catch a flight to New Zealand and he made time for us. Uh, and you know, there were things that I would have loved to have covered with Howard. We'll do that next time. There will be plenty of opportunities, um, to go more in depth on a lot of these issues with Howard, but he was great and it's much appreciated. All right. That's it for the show today. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.